if you are not in the moment, you fall off. You, you can't, or you can't get up, or you can't, and then the wave will take you, or you'll get battered, or you know, you're forced to be in the moment. And it's the same thing if you're skating, or if you're climbing, or if you're riding a horse, or you know, any any of these kind of great activities that are sort of associated with flow is, is that you have to be in the moment to make it work. That's a respite for a lot of people. I mean, if you interview. There's a lot of good research. If you interview skateboarders, you know, young skateboarders, they tend to be like, what, 13 to 16. They tend to smoke a lot of weed. They tend to come from broken homes. They tend to be like, they're not the cool kids, but they're not the geeks. They're kind of, you know, they're, they're usually quite bright. There's something, but there's always something going on. But when you interview them, they will often say, you know, when I'm skating, I can't think of anything else. Because if I think of anything else, I fall off or I don't land the trick. Because I'm in that zone for two or four hours, I'm not thinking about what's going on at home. I'm not thinking about my alcoholic mother. I'm not thinking about my brother who's in prison. I'm not thinking, you know, all these sorts of things that take up a lot of bandwidth in day to day. And it gives that respite and, and that it gives that pause and it allows... The psyche just to rest for a while even though you're totally focused on what you're doing it's just giving you a rest from your anxieties and troubles and that that's priceless welcome to the lotus crusher podcast with me dane ensley my guest today is josh dixon josh is an accredited emdr therapist an accredited drugs and alcohol counselor and a licensed heart math coach he is the clinical director of the Resurface program. Resurface provides evidence-based week-long surf therapy retreats and bespoke EMDR intensives for trauma, resilience and flow, creativity and self-care in Morocco. I've known Josh for a handful of years. He was helpful in understanding the therapeutic landscape of London when I moved there a while back. We've always remained in touch and I think very highly of him as a clinician. During our time together, we touch on how Josh takes care of himself, priming ourselves for change, and focusing on optimization for peak performance. I did that, and then I thought it would be fun to do, I've always wanted to do a podcast, and I, I've always really liked a lot of these podcasts that do interviews or segments with people who have these ideas about how to take care of yourself. And then I, at the same time, I have this like, resentment with those things because they're never they just don't always feel very transparent and they also feel very sort of fluffy so i thought it could be kind of fun to do like a punk rock version of that which is lotus crusher which is like um you know i mean you can relate because this, this is sort of same set of like i didn't get well um like amongst uh a bamboo forest with like a buddha statue yeah yeah i got i got well in the real world with like real dudes and we talk about real shit and we you know have our own personalities and our own likes and interests and dislikes and like we don't just subscribe to shit because you know there's pictures of people holding hands the whole time and like we like surfing and you know and we like these things so i don't know i just i thought it would be interesting it's like a work in progress for sure it's um it's not easy, but I think I'm getting better at it a bit. I'm like learning how to focus on the and not just have it run on, which is yeah. nice. Uh, no, I'm 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 in the process of setting up podcast. It's all got, and it's gonna be all about resilience. Awesome. 
that's going to be the theme. That's awesome. Yeah. So like, and just interview people, you know, people like you and loads of people like what, what is it? What does resilience mean to you? And what, um, what resilience tools do you have? And you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah. I've, I've definitely considered like narrowing the, the, um, the scope of the podcast or like the th- having a theme. Cause right now it's just like a mental health podcast and like, okay, well there's a bunch of those and what does it really mean? I don't know. It's talking to people like professionals and then just also normal people about yeah. this stuff. Um, but I, I love that. I love the idea of having a, a theme, the theme of resilience. Yeah. That's going to be what I just, I just thought that was, you know, something I'm interested in and yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm just so, trying to get it going. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how far along are you? Like, what are you well, doing to so get it going? I've been doing this, um, this uh, really great flow course with the Flow Research Collective, Stephen Kotler's outfit. And, yeah. Okay. And, but it's been great. And I had all these ideas and I learned a lot about um, cognitive load and cognitive. Um, mind blank cognitive residue and i'm now stopping myself from having too many things at the same time Mm. so what i'm doing actually is i've I've got to finish up some research that i'm doing once that's finished then i'm going to focus on the podcast because what i was doing is i was doing a bit on the podcast a bit on the research a bit on the yeah this and it i wasn't my productivity was going down not up yeah, nothing ever yeah. got done. Nothing, you know, it all got kind of got all started and kind of done. But now I'm, I'm prioritizing. I'm just going to get the research finished. Once that's done, because I've got to hand that in, then I'm going to move on to the podcast. And I'm not, I'm, I haven't made up my mind yet whether it should be a weekly thing or a seasonal thing. Uh, but I don't know if that's something you're wondering about or not. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just doing it. Just doing like it. How, yeah. Just doing it. You know, yeah, yeah. that's my thing. Like I, I get you when you say I'm doing a little bit of research, I'm doing a little bit of work. I'm doing a little bit of podcasting. I'm doing all these things and not getting them done at all or the way I want them to get done. But for me, this whole thing with the agency and the podcast, it was, I was being so fucking picky and I was being so sort of controlling over it that when I let go of it and was just like, I'm just going to record when I record, I'm going to try to get one out a week. But even that is just like part of part of like one, once a week, it's like, do I really have that much to say? Like, am I that fucking self-obsessed like to like do a podcast (laughs) once a week? No, like I'll do them as they come. And the first few, I think I recorded like a year ago and they, I release them and and now I'm doing new ones and yeah, seasonal is cool though too because you could also do like uh, different themes. Yeah. You know, you could do you could start on resilience and then move on to another theme or like just subcategorize resilience. Yeah, or or you could just do ten, have a break, right. and then do season two, and then season. You know, that's because I I got put in touch with someone um, who's really taken off. Uh, doing like young mothers completely different to what i'm doing but i had a good chat with her the other day and she just told me like she wished she had done seasonal right because now she's sort of like yeah uh, she's locked uh, into people people's expectation of (laughs) yeah 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 cool i think there's like a couple hundred people that listen to this podcast so we're not on the hook for any of it (laughs) yeah yeah 
who are you, Josh, and where do you come from, and what's like, what's your backstory? Oh, I mean, uh, like so many people, I'm a guy who had a, you know, an interesting, difficult time in life, and then I found, you know, I found a, a way of a new way of living, which has been really helpful and really turned my life around. And within that journey, I met, you know, people like you and and other people in my sort of various communities and from that you know i ended up becoming a kind of a first of all an addictions counselor which um kind of was i wouldn't say by chance but someone just said hey who someone who i respected just said to me i think you'd be good at this and um i'd like you to come and come and train with me and so on so i did that did do that and from there i did some more specialist I did a load of specialist training in trauma and so I sort of created a niche of being like within sort of the addictions community becoming like a trauma specialist do a lot of um particularly do a lot of EMDR which for those mm-hmm. people who don't know it is a an evidence-based psychotherapy that's particularly effective with PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder and within the addictions community there's a lot of a lot of PTSD and you know, just been on this continual journey of expanding, and and um, so you know, I worked in a rehab for a long time. I still do a bit of work for them. It's a great place in London called Start to Stop. Got a private practice, and sort of from that, I've also developed an, a real interest in peak performance and positive psychology. The whole sort of positive psychology movement, peak performance, flow states, um, really being at your best. You know, I'm meeting people who've been and working with people who've been at their very worst, but also, Mm -hmm. you know, helping people to become their very best, not just like, okay, but like really flourishing. And I have to practice what I preach. So I've learned a lot of these things through my own experience and I share that. And, uh, you know, I really love learning about happiness and happiness skills and flourishing. And, and, and from that, I uh, created a, a, um, a business, we call it a business, whatever, a company, sorry, called Resurface. And we, we, um, they're basically surf therapy retreats. And I started off in England and we've expanded to doing retreats in Morocco. And then, and, and the latest thing we started doing is doing like individual bespoke, um, retreats as well for for people who don't want to be in a group mm. and you know it's, it's been great it's a combination of mindfulness psychoeducation surfing um big group experiential group therapy and you know putting all these things together in a in a, in a small group of say 10 people and it's been a blast and we've had really uh really effective results and it's that's what i do try and help people live a better life really you yeah. grew up in england right josh yeah so i grew up in uh in england so I've, I've lived in london since i was about five or six years old so london's I, my home i am sure i've always asked or i'm sure i've asked you this before uh, but where where the fuck do you surf in england ah it's a good question a lot of people, <laughs> particularly americans always ask me this yeah um, classic yeah yeah so um the whole of uh I mean, there's actually one surf spot that we go down to that works about once or twice a month. 
which is about an hour and a half south of London on the south coast. But in general, we we go surfing down in Devon and Cornwall, which is the okay. if you know England, it's the bit that sticks out into the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. And there's it's really good, famous surf down there. Um, it's not necessarily that sunny, and it rains a lot, but it's it's good. You know, it's good surf, and um, it's a bit of a mission though from London. You know, it's like it's a commitment. It's like a four or five hour drive, so you you've got to you know pack your bags, go off on a Friday night and be prepared to have a, a gritty drive back on Sunday evening. Did you grow up surfing? No, 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 not at all. It's a good question. I only got into surfing about five or six years ago. Okay. But I, I was, when I was a kid, I was a big skater. Right. So skating. And then I discovered, uh, I was fortunate enough to get a little bit of money from my grandmother on my 20, when I was 21. And I spent that going uh, snowboarding. Six years ago, I went. I actually went on a yoga retreat in Morocco, mm. and we did one mm-hmm. day surfing. And I was just like, "I've got to do more of this." You caught the bug. I caught the bug, and then, you know, t- it tied in with all the kind of like skating and snowboarding and stuff. And um, but what what I really learned from just going surfing with with a bunch of friends is just how powerful a tool it was on all of our mental health in a positive way. And it, and it was from the, the, the sort of impact I'd seen it on friends and myself that I thought there's something in this that we've got to take further and, and mm. integrating that into into a more sort of official um, therapeutic modality, whatever you want to call it, program. Which is resurface. Which is resurface, yeah. Because there's, there's, you know, there's some great surf programs in the States. There's Operation Surf and there's, jimmy miller foundation and they do great work with veterans okay they they basically just do the surfing but what we do is we do the surfing plus uh, mindfulness trauma focused yoga we do big group therapy sessions so you know we bring all these things together so so people come along and you know it's fun and it's heavy and it's deep and it's a pretty transformative experience is it is it like a good split of therapy group sessions the sort of the inner work and then like a uh, an even split of surfing or how, how like what's a day that's a good really good day in the life of resurface yes yeah, a really good question because because that it's pretty much you know it's pretty much the same every day but the the theme in the morning changes so basically it's um get up if you want to for optional yoga class before breakfast but i would say seven in the morning mm-hmm. and christina is my partner she um, she's a doctor and she's a yoga teacher and she is also doing a lot of um studying a bit of trauma focused yoga now which has a slightly different feel to regular yoga yeah, interesting. More, more in the language used i mean the, one of the big differences between trauma focused yoga and regular yoga is in trauma focused yoga the teacher will never leave the mat. So she'll never come and adjust you or uh-huh. so that it respects that boundary. Sure. Um, because, you know, something I haven't mentioned, but, you know, resurface retreats are either for trauma resolution or for, or for tr- working with depression and increasing peak performance. Right. So the, the client group, you know, usually have some issues. So they're kind of respecting that boundary. So anyway, to get back to your question, before breakfast is, is yoga, 
breakfast is sort of eight till nine and then roughly nine till 10, there'll be a workshop with me. So let's take the trauma resolution retreat. Day one will be what is trauma and we'll look at the difference between PTSD and developmental trauma, etc. Psychoeducation. Exactly. So that's the the psych ed part. And then we go off and we have the surf lesson, surf school. We go off on the bus and our top man, Eunice, head surf coach, he takes us wherever he thinks is the best place for us that day. You know, where we go in Morocco, there's 25 spots all within 20 20 minute drive. So pretty lucky in terms of conditions and and options there. And they they have a lesson, two hour lesson with our team. And we make sure that the ratio of instructors to clients is uh, one to three at most. So, you know, if you go on a if you go on a typical re- surf retreat, it'd be one to ten. Wow! But you know, we make sure that people have that focus. And then, then it's lunch on the beach, and then you can after lunch you can either go surfing, or you can have a camel ride, or you can sunbathe, or read your book, whatever you want. But we, what we do is we, we make sure we're back at the hotel by three at the latest. And then 3.30 to 5.30, we have big experiential group therapy. Experiential group therapies used to be called psychodrama. But psychodrama seems to, people still use that word, but it seems to just have evolved into experiential group mm-hmm. therapy. But it's very interactive group therapy where people have the opportunity to reenact or work through something specific. So everybody in the week will get an opportunity to be the the main focus of of those sessions and that's where the real magic happens and interestingly i'm doing some research at the moment looking at uh how flow states so you know that sort of in the zone that you get into say surfing and what that does to your biochemistry and your brainwave states how that's that's having an impact on the group therapy it's allowing people to go deeper faster that's the hypothesis yeah, because I was I was wondering. I, I know about resurf the resurface program. I remember when you sort of conceptualized it and and birthed it, and I was pretty stoked that you were doing something that just involved going to Morocco and surfing. And I've always meant to come out with you and and go and do a course. And I just haven't had the time, and I haven't committed myself to doing it. And I can't wait to do that. But I've always I've always had it in the back of my head, like how. I, it makes sort of a sense intuitively why you would have this experience of doing something like surfing uh, along with therapy, but I never really went further than that. And I think it may make sense that you would be doing that research. And what what does that look like, and how does it pair up? Yeah. So at the moment, the research at the moment is I'm just doing I'm just interviewing people who have done regular group therapy, and then people who have come and done resurface, and they've so they've done the th- the surfing, then the group therapy. And what they're reporting is what I witnessed. I just saw that people were going, you know, within two days with a group of people that they might not even know very well or not at all. They were going deeper, faster. They were more open with each other. And I was mm. like, and that, I wasn't ex- necessarily expecting that. It was like an, an amazing byproduct and really caught my attention, a few other people's attention. It's like, hey, these people are really trusting each other within like a couple of days. And then the more I learn about, flow states and theory around flows flow is is a psychological term for for being in the zone or totally in focus or if you're a jazz musician you might say being in the pocket but it's that state where you you, where you completely lose uh, track of time you're completely in the moment you're you're what we call in peak performance it's effortless effort totally at one with what you're doing i call it kind of force mindfulness Mm. and flow has a very distinct four stages 
cycle. And the first stage you go into is the struggle stage. And people who do a lot of running will probably really relate to this. It's like the first 15 minutes or so is a bit of an effort. And that's usually in your head. You have these kind of like thoughts like, why am I doing this? Should I put it off? I don't really want to do this. Do I really like running? Should I quit? Yeah, should I quit? Surely I've got better <laughs> things to do. Maybe I've already run enough this week and I'm fit enough. So do I, you know, and so on. That All that chat that goes on. Yeah. And we call that the struggle phase. And, and you always have that. And you have that surfing or anything. Just to begin with, there's always a bit of a battle with self and the elements. And you move, what's interesting is you move through that struggle phase. You have to go through it. And you move through that struggle phase into what we call the release stage. And when you're in the release stage, a whole load of nitric oxide. So when you're in the struggle stage, physiologically, a lot of adrenaline and nor norepinephrine is released. So you feel anxious, you're heightened, mm. um, and so on. And you're in a beta brainwave state. And then what happens is when you go through the release stage, your body releases a whole load of nitric, nitric oxide. Mm -hmm. And what that does is get a lot more oxygen into your system. And that's when you go up a gear. That's like where if you're running, you suddenly get, hey, hey, this is starting to get a bit easier now. I'm I've kind of not noticing the struggle anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's because um, of the nitric oxide, which opens up all your, you know, your blood vessels to to absorb more oxygen. And from that, you go into the flow state. And and also, sorry, I didn't say you go from a beta brainwave state to an alpha brainwave state. And the, mm -hmm. so alpha brainwave state. I know you know a lot about neurofeedback, et cetera, but mm -hmm. you know, to the layman, alpha is a bit like when you first get up in the morning, you're awake and things are clear, but it's not kind of that, that same state of the rest of the day. And you, you tend to go move through the alpha brainwave state into flow. And when you're in flow, you're getting all these chemicals released, like you're getting dopamines flying around, you're getting anandamide. Anandamide's a bit like THC. It makes everything glitter, makes... You know, your sight is a bit clearer. Your hearing is a little bit more acute. Mm -hmm. um, you get all those runners high endorphins released. And you get a lot of gamma and theta brainwave states going on. And that's when you're completely in the zone at one what you're doing. You could be doing that skateboarding. You could be doing that playing the guitar. You could be doing that in great conversation with someone, painting a fantastic picture, do, doing so many different things but where you're just completely in the zone, playing basketball. You know, I just watched the Michael Jordan documentary there's yeah. someone who's in flow all the time. Yeah. And, and crucially, when you come out of the flow state, you go into what we call the recovery stage. And when you're in the recovery stage, uh, a lot of oxytocin and serotonin is released. So oxytocin is the bonding chemical. Serotonin is, you know, what's released when you take ecstasy. You know, it makes you feel great. Um, and you also get a lot of delta brainwave states. And when you're in delta, that's a bit like... Um, the stage before sleep and when you're in deep meditation. So what we're getting is we're getting a lot of people in that recovery phase mm -hmm. coming and then into group. Right. So they've got the serotonin, the oxytocin, the delta waves. Delta waves allow they're, for much more primed. lateral thinking. So they're primed, they're primed. For, right. primed for, for interaction and vulnerability and openness. And uh, that's what we're really exploring in the research right now. And it's really exciting to you know, that this could be something that could be a game potential. I mean, if you think about it, potential game changer in, say, the rehab scene or any kind That's of fascinating. therapeutic scene. You know, if we can get good good evidence to show that this is the causal, the, the causal connections and, the, and that this is what's driving it, 
you know, it could be that just people are enjoying splashing around in the water, <laughs> but I think it's a bit deeper than that. And, um, that's what we're looking at. And it's, uh, you know, we're early stages of that, but a lot of people are very, uh, excited by it. We've got a lot of people backing it up and, um, a lot of people reporting similar, um, experiences of, yeah, you know, Hey, I, I do this and I do the activity and I'm kind of drained and I'm kind of feeling really good and I'm feeling really connected. And then I go in and I do this really deep work with other people and I feel safe and open and, and all of that. And then once, you know, just to finish off your earlier question, once we've, uh, we finished the group therapy, we have a little tea break and then, um, then there's, uh, like a, a sort of yin yoga stroke, uh, mindfulness session just to bring everyone down. And we do quite a lot of yoga nidra, mm-hmm. which again gets people into that. You know, a lot of people nickname it heroin yoga, yeah, because you just have that blissed out again, more delta waves, very kind of like mellow, leaves people. You know, and then it's dinner and everyone's just kind of zonked in a good way, and everyone everyone goes to bed really early. Fascinating, yes, and then we and we do that for. So people come for a week, but we do. They come on the Saturday night, and we leave on the Saturday. But we do five days of therapeutic work, and in the middle we have a rest day. And the rest day is just a day trip to this great fishing village. It's also a very famous wave, and we get to see some of the Moroccan sites, you know, the Bedouin caves, and the mm. you know the camels, and the different the different famous uh, surf spots in the in the mountains, and that sort of thing. So people get to you know, get to get a nice taste of culture when we're in Morocco. And if we're doing it elsewhere, we just, you know, take it wherever we're at. What are the uh, the levels of surfing ability that you guys have? Is it everyone from like a beginner to sort of a seasoned veteran surfer? Yeah. So, so again, you know, this, this is something that we're finding the hardest bit around sort of, sort of simple marketing. Right. I get a lot of people who go, oh, I'd love to come, but I can't surf. Yeah, and I grew up in Los Angeles, and I I can't surf. So a lot of people are slightly put off by that, but the the fact is that ninety odd percent of people who come are now it's probably a bit lower. Eighty odd percent of people who come are beginners. Okay, and then we have had you know some quite seasoned surfers as well, and we we cater for all of that. So if necessary, we'll you know there was one time we had we had like four people who were, were like what you call like intermediate surfers. So we just split the group for the surf lesson and we took the intermediate, intermediate surfers to different spots and they had a different instructor, et cetera. And then we'd all meet again for lunch and right. all surf together at the sort of lunch spot. Right. So there's no huge slowdown for the guys who can actually surf. No, not until we, we absolutely make sure that they are, they get their needs met as well. Cause I mean, they've caught, yeah, they ha- we'd have to do that. And I, I always have to think of like, what would I want if I was going? Right. You know, and I'm I'm a sort of intermediate surfer now, and I wouldn't want to be like in the white water with all the foamies with the new people. A lot of the time, we all go to the same spot anyway, and so those of us who are intermediate surfers will go out back and go off to a slightly different part, and you know, it's it's, it's, it's all there for for anyone who's interested. Yeah, it makes so much sense as you were describing the flow stages and and you know there's a lot of this that i do know and there's a lot of it that i have to relearn and remember as time goes on but it 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 reminded me of all of the either sessions or experiences or 
you know, interactions with clients in my coaching practice that I have that are not followed by some sort of uh, flow priming. And, and I think it's so interesting to hear you talk about the work that happens after that session in, in the ocean uh, and how people are primed for the work and how, and I imagine how much more rewarding it's obviously rewarding for them, but also rewarding for the clinicians. And it's frustrating when you get someone that's sort of, let's call it come off the street, right. You know, entered your, your facility or your office or your space and they're there for a session or they're there for some advice um, whatever it is, and they they haven't been primed, and I and maybe you can relate with this, maybe you can't, but there's so much that you have to do to like lubricate that person in that session to get them to the place to where then they can then do the the actual work, whether it's just like some coaching advice or EMDR or yeah. deeper trauma stuff. It's it, that's half the battle for me sometimes. Yeah, I I I find that like I'm finding that particularly acute right now working on Zoom. Sure. Uh, with with newer people. Right. Because like for example with with EMDR, um, I use I use uh, currently like until this the pandemic, people would come to my practice. I would also I would hook them up to some biofeedback as well. Right. They would have all this you know immediate feedback on the screen. They could see the heart rate variability and then when we were doing the processing stage of, of EMDR, this is what we call the trauma confrontation. I'd use the headphones and the buzzers and, and so on. And that's, that's super effective, super cool. Clients like it. They can see what's happening in real time, et cetera. And, that, you know, and you introduce that to people. You show them the stuff. As you say, you prime them. Working on Zoom, I'm having to, we're having to use slightly different techniques. It's, they're still really effective, but it's much harder to get that, like getting, getting, that, getting them to sort of trust and, and, and see what you're talking about mm-hmm. in the room, mm-hmm. feeling that vibe. Whereas through the screen, it's a little bit like, oh, what are you talking about here? What are you doing? You know, and I, it's a lot more like just, you've got to trust me right now. And with someone, that, you know, with someone who's new, so much of the trust and the priming that you talk about is just holding the space and allowing people to to be silent or say whatever they want to in the room and, and vibe off your body language. And I'm finding it with, with like, with Zoom, what's different is the only thing they can really bond with you is the voice. When you're on a screen with someone on Zoom, they're, they're only seeing your sort of shoulders and head. And basically, they're not seeing how how the rest of your body might be relaxed or how you yeah. can hold what they're saying and, and so on. So that, and it's two-dimensional, you know. Yeah, it's totally two-dimensional. You don't get the same feedback from the person as you would in person. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the benefit that people are talking about with it is they feel with the headphones that you're right with someone. They're right next to you. And they uh-huh. quite people are reporting they quite like that. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, you say, priming people, it's 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 – definitely a bit harder at the moment yeah and hey we're, we're clinicians we're professionals we've got to work with that yeah there's been a lot of a lot of uh adaptability hopefully with clinicians and with you know within the helping professions and therapeutic mechanisms and modalities that i think people I, i'm really impressed by the way people are responding to the pandemic i can't 
I can't stand FaceTime and Zoom. And I and I do it and you know, it's, I don't have like a strong resentment towards it. It's just it doesn't with a working with a client via Zoom is very rewarding. Where speaking to my mother on Zoom is incredibly annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, and I love my mother. It's just there's something about I was just speaking about this with someone else. There's something about feeling like you're on a stage. Yeah, that is so unnatural. At least for me, I'm not. I, I I didn't grow up on a stage, right? I'm not an actor. I'm not a performer, and it's so uncomfortable at times. Yeah, I mean, I think th what I find the the funniest thing to see is how if you're sitting in a room with someone, they can be comfortable with silence and be in the they can be in the silence, and that can be a lot of the work. It's just like you know what it's like. You know when you, if you're like with a really good friend and you're driving on a long distance drive, you don't need to talk mm -hmm. for an hour or two sometimes and totally. you're, you're totally cool with it and not on the same level, but with, with clients in the room, you can, you can have those moments of silence and it's okay just to sit with it. I notice on zoom, people feel that there needs to be something going on all the time. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, otherwise something's wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's taken a little while um, to, I mean, the, the clients I've worked with for a while, it's fine. But the newer ones, it's, it's a, you know, it's, 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 as you say, the, the priming is, 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 very, is, is very different right now. Yeah, and, and that those moments of silence are so important. And I imagine that also works its way in well to this idea of a surfing retreat paired with trauma therapy is like on that surfboard, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a good surfer, but I, I, I do understand it. Um, and I have a lot of friends that surf and I, in ways am very jealous of their ability. And at the very same time, know that if I wanted to do it, I could just do it silence and, and holding the space, right. And being very present because that body of water you're on is it, it's doing its own thing. It's not you know, you don't control it and, you know, you, you work with it and it will provide. It is in its, itself its own little flow state and you are literally on the water uh, and you are at sort of the water's liberty and, and you allow it to take you and you, you know, you operate in that space. Totally. I, I was just speaking with a client about practicing silence and and i didn't really relate it to uh an element of flow but that's it's a really good point yeah and uh, yeah, that's why i call it forced mindfulness you know like mm. you have but it's forced mindfulness because if you are not in the moment you fall off you, you can't or you can't get up or you can't and then the wave will take you or you'll get battered or you know you're forced to be in the moment and it's the same thing if you're skating or if you're climbing or if you're riding a horse or, you know, any, any of these kind of great activities that are sort of associated with flow is, is that you have to be in the moment to make it work. That's a respite for a lot of people. I mean, if you interview, there's lots of good research. If you interview skateboarders, you know, young skateboarders, they tend to be like what? 13 to 16 they tend to smoke a lot of weed they tend to come from broken homes they tend to be like they're not the cool kids but they're not the geeks they're kind of you know they're, they're usually quite bright there's something but there's always something going on 
Yeah, you just described me as a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. and and that was me as a kid. You know what I mean? And, yeah. But when you interview them, they will often say, you know, when I'm skating, I can't think of anything else because if I think of anything else, I fall off or I don't land the trick because I'm in that zone for two or four hours. I'm not thinking about what's going on at home. I'm not thinking about my alcoholic mother. I'm not thinking about my brother who's in prison. I'm not thinking about, you know, all these sorts of things that take up a lot of bandwidth mm-hmm. day to day. And it gives that respite and, and that it gives that pause and it allows the psyche just to rest for a while. Even though you're totally focused on what you're doing, it's just giving you a rest from your anxieties and troubles. And that that's priceless particularly for mm. those kind of kids. And I I liked what um, – I saw a little clip of what Jordan Peterson said once, which was, you know, never never disturb a kid who's skateboarding because he's learning mastery. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, and it's the mastery is coming from that full focus. And I, I've, I've always thought that's really cool. And so, yeah, that that's – you know, so that as you're saying, you know, there is that that forced in-the-zone silence just to, to – you, when you're in flow, it's very much you and the activity. There's an element of group flow, but in general, it's kind of, so you go from this activity of, of the flow where you're, you're sort of you in the zone, and then you come out of that and you're in a group. So you're getting mm. both. You know, you need, you, we all need that individual introspection where it's just you and your thoughts and, and you're on your own to sort of work things out. And I think that's really important. And then also mm. you get the 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 group work and the, the group work so powerful because as as i know as, as i know you know like group work breaks breaks down denial so well and it also mm-hmm. also gives you a place to relate and learn off each other and feel safe and and start to learn to trust other people etc so you've got these t- these two big contrasts as well that that really come together we're not getting a lot of the group work right now yeah i mean the whole being distant thing is, yeah it's really hard it, it really is and and there's a i mean i'm a i'm a sort of legendary isolator as it is you know and it can be it can wreak havoc on my life if i let it and i don't often let it wreak havoc but you know i do find a lot of value in being alone right not being lonely not necessarily being isolated but just being alone i i i find tremendous value in that cognitively behaviorally emotionally physically spiritually in every way Uh, and i need it and so much of what's going on is this like this forced isolation in a way right or this you know there's a there's a voluntary aspect i guess in what's going on because at least in this country and i know there's some there's many similarities and there's some differences between what's happening right now in the states and then in the uk but um i i could i guess i could just go run around naked and spit in people's mouths and you know i could do that but i'm choosing to be part of the group Right, I'm doing the. I guess the group work right now is is not doing the in person group work. It's not being with your comrades. It's not being with the people that struggle the same way you do. At least physically, right? We have this these amazing mechanisms in which we can meet with each other online. But as we were saying, it's not the same. Um, yeah, and I know a lot of people can't wait to get back to that. And I'm sure you guys can't wait to get back into the water with a bunch of dudes and, you know, and women as well. And is it like a co-ed thing is resurfaced? Yeah, it's, 
I tell you what's what's funny is like um when we set it up a lot of people were like yeah you're gonna be doing a lot of great work with young men right they, we've actually, they assumed it was young yeah, men yeah and that's what we thought that that's probably what would happen but actually we've had more women than men right. and the the sort of median age right you know the is about late 30s early 40s wow the old the youngest we've had is 18 and the oldest we've had is 73 and we've had everything in between and we've had more women than men amazing yeah amazing so that's been really cool really nice to see a lot of people i think a lot of people we're getting a lot of people who are like oh yeah i've got these issues that i sort of run into in my middle age which happens you know, a lot of people as i'm sure you see in your work a lot of people fall apart in their late 30s early 40s sure sure and so we get a lot of people who sort of hit that like you know what there's something missing in my life and i've always wanted to try this and always thought that looked fun and there's also some issues that I need to, really need to work through. And so we get a lot of sort of people in that range, but we get, you know, we get a lot of people straight out of rehab across the board, you know, as, as another, as a different way of just sort of keeping sane. And another, another really basic thing to think about is a lot of people, myself included, and a lot of people I know, you know, adrenaline has been an important part of life. Sure. Really feeling alive and stuff. And, and that a lot of people miss that when they say get clean or they change their lifestyle, etc. And this is, you know, an opportunity to get a bit of buzz back in a more kind of healthy way. You know, there's a big buzz element to this. Yeah. Flow is a big buzz. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, you're re releasing all of that, those neurochemicals. Yeah, exactly. And, and, I would say it's a, a far better high than this is what I say to like to the, to the kind of young ex junkies, etc. To say, yeah, you, you can you can go back and you can smoke crack again and you can get back into brown and you know you can you can you can do all that and fine, it's your choice now. You know, we've shown you another way and you can do that. But I just want to let you know that if you're if you uh, get into a flow state, you get dopamine, which is like cocaine. You get anandamide, which is basically the same thing as THC. You get oxytocin, which is very, very similar to opiates. You get serotonin, which is the same thing as MDMA. You get all those endorphins and runners high. Yeah. And you get them all in the perfect dose. And they don't cancel each other out like they do when you take street drugs. And you feel great for it because you've earned it. You've gone through a struggle and you've earned these, this reward. Easy choice. You can have the perfect high and... and, and yeah and be fit and healthy afterwards and, and, and have this real sense of achievement or you can fake it with, with, and try and get that balance. Right. And I, I say to them, when have you ever got that balance? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the, you know, that's your choice. You know, I'm just, I'm just here to show you something. I'm here to show you another way and, and, um, and, and help you with your, make those choices as in, give you as much autonomy as, you, as as we can but that's the little thing i little carrot i dangle is this is this is a way of you getting a much better high than than any other way yeah and it's 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 uh there's definitely true that what are you doing right now josh to help yourself how are you how are you taking care of yourself right now yeah um with you know there's the obvious stuff like with the pandemic happening uh, and i imagine that has altered the way it's definitely altered the way i've 
taking care of myself, you know, the way I've structured my lifestyle and had to double down on certain things and had to eliminate other things. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm sure that as a, as a group, as a society, we are getting a little bit, uh, fatigued of talking about like, you know, Oh, how do we stay well while quarantined? And it's not necessarily that, but how do you, I guess on just a normal day, take care of yourself? So I've, I've noticed that the the longer I've been in a sort of, um, working, you know, working a program to sort of better my life and, and the further down the road I go, the more I need to do. Yeah. And so not every morning, but most mornings I get up and I will, I'll get straight on my, uh, heart math device and I'll do some about 20 minutes of, uh, resonance breathing to, Mm -hmm. to work with my heart rate variance. Can you explain what that is to people that might not know just in a simple way? Yeah. Yeah. So basically, um, and this blew my mind when I did the training is that I didn't realize that the healthier you are, the bigger variance you have in between your heart and your heart rate. So Mm -hmm. let's just say that like you and I have the same average heart rate of, uh, an average BPM beats per minute of 60. Mm -hmm. Um, if mine's varying between 55 and 65, and yours is varying between 40 and 80, you're a much healthier state than me because it actually shows uh, how much more robust your nervous system is. More variability. Yeah, the more variability, the, the more impact, the more, more you, the, more, the, the larger the range of, of your um, nervous system. Because, uh, and basically what you can do is you can actually train that. And you can train it very simply th- through your breath um, with you know a sim- device on the computer that measures your you just clip this thing either to your earlobe or your finger and you it'll measure your heart rate variance and through your breathing you can learn to train and increase that the greater that you know the more you strengthen that the more um, the more kind of shock you can take without realizing it mm-hmm. so you know every morning I do that it's kind of my mixture of mindful breathing and resilience training at the same time so I do that and while I'm doing that, like like a lot of meditation work things pop into my head a lot of useful things pop into my head and uh sort of like a to-do list almost comes to mind i usually can just race through a whole bunch of emails and to-do list things that i need to do that would Mm -hmm. normally take me a while or i procrastinate on but once i do that i can just bang out all the emails and these days what i'm doing is then i will um have something to drink but I won't eat yet. And I'll often, now I've been in it summer and everything. I've been going for a walk every morning. So I go for a walk after I've done that. And then I come back and I'll have breakfast. That allows me to have done enough hours to be intermittent fasting. Right. So I, I, I kind of, so I've, I've started doing that. Not, not in an extreme way. I'm sort of intermittent fasting. I tend to eat about seven in the evening and i won't eat breakfast till nine the next morning so i'm doing like 14 hours but i imagine it just gives you that those those few or couple of few hours in the morning where you are probably at a, a higher rate of productivity i know when i 
intermittent fast or when I just don't, I don't even know if I would call it intermittent fasting. I just don't eat for a few hours in the morning. I get my training in and I do those, that cluster of emails that has to get done early in the morning, communicating with other time zones or whatever. Um, I'm just, I'm on it. I'm, I'm not, you know, Exactly. When I get up and I eat and I'm like kind of relaxed and I just, I don't do anything. I, f- I don't feel, I don't feel as good as I do fasted. Yeah, exactly. So I do that and I have the, and the walk also focuses the mind. Um, and then in, in many ways, like I'm sort of going through a bit of a struggle. Then I'm, then the walk is a bit of a release. And then I come mm-hmm. back from the walk and then I, I see my clients and then I have a break. And then, uh, and, and then I see more clients in the afternoon and then, you know, basic stuff I, I do, um, I train three, four times a week, do a lot of calisthenics work, um, mm-hmm. been doing that out, outdoors in the park. So I've got a friend of mine, Paddy owns a gym, gym, calisthenics gym. He lent me some gym rings because they closed all the kind of exercise areas here at the moment. Yeah. So I use that, I throw them over a tree branch, I do, do my exercise there. Um, some friends sometimes come along and we, you know, we do some sprints and all that sort of stuff. But I get that in. And then a lot of evenings I go for a bike ride just in the summer, bike around as well. So I've been doing a lot of like exercise to yeah. keep me sane. And I check in with a few people. I mean, I eat really well as, as well as I can. And I'd tell you something we, we've just bought, uh, which is, been really nice we just bought a really nice air purifier oh nice filter thing yeah and having that for when we sleep and it seems to be a nice addition to the day yeah i've always thought about buying one of those and i never really i know the sort of the efficacy behind them but i don't i've just never pulled the trigger yeah i to be fair i would never have bought it i've always liked the idea of it but christina bought it sure yeah and now, now i'm really pleased she's bought it it's just like it's got a nighttime mode, so you can just yeah, you just got good clean air. Because I get a bit of hay fever and stuff. Right. Um, I'm not getting any hay fever up with this thing in the room. But an- another couple of things that are really you know helpful, as I said, reaching out to a few core people is really important at the moment. And the other thing is, um, I'm not doing enough of it, but when I do it, I feel good. And this is something I learned from Stephen Kotler and the Flow Research Collective is to read. 20 minutes half an hour about something that interests you but isn't your core work Mm. and what that does is it it, it loads pattern recognition and you start to see patterns in other other areas of interest and from those connections you can start coming up with newer ideas oh fascinating so yeah so you might be like reading a bit about history or like i read a really great book about technology my primary work focus is psychology but reading about this technology stuff is kind of cool and you know, I'm very pro integrating technology into psychology. So mm. biofeedback, neurofeedback, et cetera, I think are really great um, assets. And so that was a really cool tip is like 20 minutes a day, try and do that. Uh, another great tip for productivity that I've learned recently is when you have a break, which you have to do, if you're in the zone for an hour and let's say you're, you're coaching someone or in therapy, and you got that little break between sessions to say 10 minutes. It never works out of 10 minutes. It's usually about five. Or less, yeah. But like you, every so often you get it. Like it's meant to be that 10-minute gap, but it doesn't always work out. But 
never do anything in the break that's more cognitively demanding than what you're doing anyway. Mm. So never check your emails, never go on your WhatsApp, etc. Don't check the news. Definitely, definitely don't check Twitter because Twitter is the most depressing thing in the world. Yeah, I can't keep, keep looking at it. Yeah. Um, if you if you put those things to a side to the side then you 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 maintain your focus for your work Mm. and then i leave that stuff to my lunch break when i've got a lot longer to be able to look at that stuff so i now use the mini breaks now to have a stretch and drink something i hadn't heard of this idea of reading was there a term for it reading the um the content that is not connected to your core work is there a term for that not a term it's just like it's just like improving your pattern loading that's how they right. describe it. It's just like you know, reading something of interest but not within your course so that you can start making broader and broader connections. That's such a simple thing. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's like if you think creativity is about is, a, is about grabbing all sorts of disparate things that are, are actually connected but you, the connection hadn't been seen before. And so if you allow yourself to explore other areas – you might start to make, you know, new links, new links, and new, you know, create new ideas, etc. Mm. So it's yeah, I've, I found that really cool. So you know, not and just integrating that into the day. So those are some of the sort of things I'm doing these days to really help, just help myself get through the day. When do you guys anticipate being back out on the water, or is there? Are you just letting it be, and and when it? I'm I'm going to try and go surfing this weekend. Nice. That's just me because it looks like there's a few waves. Are you itching and scratching? Yeah, and, and there's this little spot. As long as the whole world doesn't go there, there's, it looks like there might be something on Sunday. But in terms of resurface and work and stuff, I think we might be able to potentially do something domestically in October. Nice. But that's maybe, maybe not. But I, sure. I think we're having to look at 2021 and just sort of see see how the, all the other countries come out of their lockdowns. Are there sec- is there going to be a second wave? Is there going to be a vaccine? Are the flights going to be like really expensive? Are there going to be the same amount of flights as there were before? Unlikely. Are people going to want to fly? Are people going to, how scared are people going to be after this? I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be, hell yeah, I'm going to go anywhere right now. I don't care. And also the other thing is I will really take into account, I think we would have to, as clinicians, there's going to be increased demand for the work we do mm-hmm. with a, a lot of people who have got no money Yep. because it's going to be carnage and no one's really sure how, how bad it's going to be. Just stopping production for that amount of time. And it's not just like happened in America or in the UK. We're talking about everywhere. So are people going to be willing to pay for their mental health, prioritize it, all those kind of things that we, you know, we see in recessions, et cetera. So got to bear that in mind as well. So it's going to be a lot of just taking it a day at a time to really see what, what we can and can't do. What will we be allowed to do? Mm. Um, But I'm really hoping that, you know, we can get back up and running towards the end of this year and then before, before it gets too cold and then, maybe starting up in Morocco at the beginning of next year. Yeah, we as clinicians and and helpers have to figure out how to help more people for sure because there will be there already, you know, was a an incredible demand for people to help other people in many different ways, but because of what's happened, I imagine the 
the demand for it will be exponential and there's we're going to have to find ways of helping people from all walks of life you know and in many different ways definitely and it's going to be really tough but i think it's it's really important and i think you know and, and, and i'm preaching to the choir but i think people prioritizing that part of themselves uh especially coming out of something like this is it couldn't be more important you know um if you think you haven't incurred some sort of detriment to your mental health during this catastrophic cataclysmic event you're dead fucking wrong you know and it's okay i mean you know i'm people have all different views and 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 ideas about themselves and the way they take care of themselves or the way they don't take care of themselves but this is something that that we've we've got to find you know collectively as helpers we have to find a way to help more people i know i'm i'm trying to figure it out myself i know you are um and it's it's really exciting to hear about these things that you're doing especially resurface has always been something i've looked at and thought wow that's a really you know we have so many people that do similar things to us that do equine therapy yeah exactly. they do uh you know trips into all the wilderness, wilderness. stuff exactly yeah. yeah and that's lovely stuff and there's a lot of a lot of really good research on it there's a lot of really interesting experiences that you hear of coming out of those sessions and those groups and those um I did a, a course a year ago where I went out and I, it was a survival course in Utah where I went out with nothing but a blanket and a knife and I learned how to survive with nothing. And that was like one of the most tremendous experiences of my life. And there's so much around that, but that sounds surfing, pretty cool. That sounds pretty yeah, cool. I like the sound of that. I'd be up It was, that. it was intense. And, it, and it's, it's, you know, it's like, how do you learn new skills and how do you also get back to this? this um this idea of like uh tribal living almost right where you're learning these ancestral mechanisms in which people used when things were very simple when there was no twitter or coronavirus you know it's like you had much more time to enjoy your tribe you had much more time to focus on the things you wanted to focus on and there's something very appealing about that to me and then it was also this experience that i had that was just tremendously hard and i think that there is so much value in doing things that are really 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 hard that that no doubt you know it enhances my life so much in, in knowing i've just come through this experience in which i had to really struggle like that first stage of flow is like that struggle and, and trust me day three rolls around where you haven't eaten anything and you've been you have to sleep in the cold and the wet and the rain and you have nothing you're thinking what the fuck did i do? you know I'm, I'm ready to tap out and you can always tap out right it's not like you're you're forced to be there you'd always ring the bell and say i'm done and wash out and but you know then you you don't you don't reap the reward and you don't um at the very least have sort of that pride of saying i did that you know and i think this i think sir this this stuff you're doing with resurface and and the surfing the flow states and priming individuals for that deeper trauma work is it's inspiring it's it seems so simple 
uh, in a way, right? It seems so like it seems so logical that you would prime people to do that work. And I think, and I'm I'm sure you have loads to say on this, but I think people do it wrong so many times, right? They, they are clinicians are either trained poorly or they have certain preconceived notions about how to do the work, and they end up fucking up a lot of people that they didn't need to, right? Because they, they don't know how to find their clients. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things, or, you know, there's a lot of people who've come before us who, um, were operating in a different context. So like, you know, like I, I get older clinicians who come to see me to learn about working with trauma and they're saying, Oh yeah, well, what we used to do is we used to like, our plan was is that the client would feel safe enough to, expose what had happened to them with us and we'd talk it through and help them, you know, hopefully resolve it and see it in a different light. So they're doing the best they could. What they didn't realize is they're opening up something and re-traumatizing the client. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, that like we've come along at a time where, where there's a sort of bigger and better understanding of the mechanisms of trauma and what to do and what not to do. But, you know, just to go back to your point about like priming, you know, we've discovered that it, and it seems so obvious, but that wasn't even our intent intention. You know, our intention was to allow people to experience and flow and to experience that, like feeling good and, and witnessing that sort of forced mindfulness of surfing and combine that into a sort of more sort of traditional, um, program that you know there's quite a few in the states places like onsite and and cottonwood used to do a program called the inner path and you know there's a few places that would do these kind of top-up retreaty sort of rehabby but not really you know weeks and i was thinking how could we make that more fun and i've discovered of course well if we prime them for the group therapy then we're probably going to get better results yeah and it seems so obvious in in retrospect but at the time that wasn't part of uh, you know to be totally honest that wasn't part of the thinking the thinking was how can we combine surfing a sort of surf retreat with a therapeutic retreat right fascinating yeah it's just like you know i can't take that credit of having that insight at the time mm. but you know mm. that this is this is how we learned it's exactly the same with seligman and uh the positive psychology movement when they were like seligman was saying you know we've always studied what's wrong with people and that, and that's fine, and that's a good thing. We've always studied the pathology, but we never studied what's right with people. Mm. And they started doing that, and it was so obvious. But before that, it wasn't obvious. And then what you were saying about clinicians and what we need to do going forward, etc. You know, one of the things I've been looking at is how can we uh, implement more? Um, like there are certain protocols with EMDR where you can work with groups. Right. So I I put put forward a few proposals to some people of, of facilitating uh, an EMDR, a six-week EMDR group program so that people who maybe couldn't afford one-to-one therapy uh-huh. could join the group and it would be a bit more cost-effective. And maybe that's one way of, of starting, you know, looking at solutions to help people through this time. Because there's a lot of people out there who need help, but they only need a bit of help. And they can get that through, through attending a group or something, and it, you know it, it it lifts them enough to make the changes that they, you know the inner changes they need to make themselves. And there are some people who maybe would come along to a group 
like that and they would get some value from it and then they would realize that they needed to do further work and they'd be more open to that so i think there are there are like things that we're all beginning to start looking at like my friend my friend cosmo runs start to stop mm-hmm. they they decided to introduce uh, an online support rehab section to their treatment they just thought they'd give it a go and it's proven to be quite popular oh good so that you know there are there are if you allow people to be free and innovative they will come up with the the solutions that we need yeah i think you're right yeah and and as long as we we have that liberty to do that we will you know we will all each of us will come up with many different ideas and the best ones will will come to the surface so exciting times it is exciting times i think we uh I think we should wrap up. Definitely, but where can where can people find you online or in person or whatever? So yeah, so our website is um, www.resurfaceuk.com. It's the same. So and then on Instagram, it's it's resurfaceuk, and the same on Facebook. And if you want to email me about anything, it's info at resurfaceuk.com. Perfect. If you go to any of those sort of forums, you'll be able to find contact details, no problem. We, we, we've got we got a bit of a presence online. We, we haven't tapped into TikTok or Snapchat. Yeah, us either. We haven't either. It's okay. One thing at a time, right? Exactly. Unitasking. We're just yeah. sticking to, to what we know at the moment. And Stick to the important stuff and leave the TikTok to the kids. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice one, man. <laughs> Great speaking. Yeah, with definitely. You. Um, really, good I can't to- wait to come on a a trip with you guys. Well, the other, and- the other thing is, like, once it opens up a bit, I mean, there is so much opportunity to do this. Um, to come over to LA and and do something there as well. You know, when I was yeah, when I was to. when I was in Seattle in January, I was on the Flow Research Collective. There's so 70, 80 of us, mostly Silicon Valley types. Sure, and everyone was just like, "You've got to come out here and do it out here, dude." You know, this is yeah, so no open. To it. It's a no-brainer. You've got you've you've got the the skills, you've got the experience. Just come and do it, and you know that was one of the sort of plans for twenty twenty. So maybe later this <laughs> year, got to push yeah, it a push, year, yeah, push it a year exactly. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it'd be great to to come over, see you guys. Yeah, we'd love uh, that. You know keep it keep pushing things forward yes sir nice one man good to talk all right dude i'll talk to you soon yeah definitely